I'm Karen Florin, and this is the Storyline Podcast. The day is publishing a series of stories commemorating the 20th anniversary of 9-11 called We Remember. We're speaking with the staff writers who reported these stories. My name is Joanna Vasquez, and I'm a reporter at the day, and I cover Montville and Waterford. I'm also the Sunday reporter. My story um, about uh, 9-11 has to deal with college students and their impressions of the day and how they've um, been exposed to it and what what they think about it, not having been around, not born yet, um, when the actual events occurred and um, how those um, thoughts have developed over the years and how they think that event has impacted our nation, whether politically, systemically, socially. In terms of the response, um, I wasn't all the way surprised by what I encountered. You know, the general themes of um, 9-11 affecting us in terms of more security, the treatment of people of color has um, been detrimentally affected, and um, it has to do a lot with people's upbringing. There's people, there was a girl whose family, um, whose father enlist, re-enlisted after 9-11. My dad felt the need to help, obviously. Um, he's a United States Marine, so he had actually re-enlisted the day of. Um, and I think it definitely instilled a lot of fear in the world, not just like specifically in my family, but like a lot of um, like first responders, families, and military. Um, I even spoke to someone who is an outsider who was born in the U.S., but um, was raised elsewhere. And he kind of learned about it through YouTube, you know, so there's just... There's so many different responses, and it all has to do with what they were exposed to growing up. What really stood out to me was um, Syl Miller's story, Um, and she is from Oregon. She attends Mitchell College, and um, she spoke about the treatment of uh, people of color and how um, that has drastically been an issue after 9-11. And she specifically told me about um, in airports and how uh, people of color are treated with harsher routines. She gave me the, an example of like when she was returning to, to college this semester, with, during security, they checked her hair. So for example, when I was coming over here, um, TSA, I know they, you know, typical routine you go through, but they checked my hair this time, something that's never happened before. And it's just little things like that that you, that you start to pick up on based off of kind of where you're going, you know, what plane you're riding, stuff like that. I feel like that was, you know, a really great example of how people of color are, are definitely targeted in certain instances. Hi, my name is Erica Moser. I'm a reporter here at The Day. So I heard from Ricky Free, who is a New London resident. He's 65. And he uh, is a union construction worker with Local 547. He's been there for, you know, more than 30 years and had retired and then came out of retirement and now has a, has an office job there as, as a field rep. And so on 9-11, he was watching what was happening and hearing that, you know, they needed construction workers, needed volunteers, and was kind of waiting for the union to be called down to help. And even when they weren't called, he was just like, okay, I'm going. And so it was September 14th, early in the morning, he headed down with, with two other people who from the at the time were from Waterford and Deep River. So they all drove down in his truck down to the Javits Center 
and made the long walk uh, the, the down to Ground Zero. They decided not to to take the transportation there and, and made this walk, which he said in retrospect maybe wasn't the best call because they're passing all of these family members who are holding up pictures of their loved ones and holding up candles and saying, you know, please find this person. And he said he went into this very naively thinking he was going down there to rescue people and there was no one to rescue. He was going through rubble and debris. So he was down there bucketing all of this rubble and debris. And he was talking about how just you could feel the heat from buildings blocks away and just the smell is something he will never forget. And this is something actually that he talked to uh, my, my colleague Claire Bissett about back in 2007, which was a big deal for him. I mean, it's still a big deal for him to talk about this because this is something that both he and his family have commented on that when he came back after those three days he spent volunteering, he was just very quiet, withdrawn, not himself. And after several years, he, he did go to therapy for more than a year. He's, he's found it helpful to talk to uh, to veterans, have been people who he thinks the conversation is really natural uh, about 9-11. And so it, it was interesting now after Claire did this article in 2007 that was largely focused on what that day was like for him, what he did in the aftermath, him, him you know, being able to open up at that point and talk about this. Now, 14 years later, I was a little more focused on just how far he's come and that he's he's come a long way in his healing. He's more he's still struggles, but is, is more like him old, his old self again. And the other big part of this is that his plan uh, is to go to Ground Zero on 9-11. And he has not been there since uh, September 11th, 2001. He said he's been to New York probably over 100 times since, but had never been back to ground zero. And so uh, he has no idea what to expect. No, not sure how this will go, but that's, that's the plan. Claire Bissett, I cover Norwich for the day paper and Preston. Um, well, for my story for the September 11th, 20th anniversary, I interviewed local Muslims, men and women who've lived in this area for decades, and what their experiences were after September 11th and now on living in the community, reactions that they received from others in the community and how they went on with their lives and how it changed them. One man who's a nuclear engineer who worked at Millstone and uh, in the months after September 11th, sometime after, it was, it was actually a couple of years after, he was called in to the superior's office and was told that people in the company don't feel comfortable with him holding that position and could he just quietly leave the company, which he did. And they offered not to blacklist him and he uh, he went on to continue a career as a high-level nuclear engineer, engineering nuclear plants in the United States and China and, and trips to Canada. And in, in a couple of trips to Canada, he was stopped at the border on his return to the United States and was questioned for hours. Um, he is the founder of an organization called CARE, C-A-I-R-C-T, which is the Council on American Islamic Relations. It's a group that he founded to promote better relations, to promote education and awareness of the Muslim faith and beliefs and culture 
among um, non-Muslims in, in the United States and in, in the local community. There was a man who, a uh, longtime employee at Electric Boat in Groton, and on a Friday, uh, some about a year or so after the September 11th attacks, on a Friday, his supervisor came to him and said that uh, there was information and they had to seize his computer and all his equipment. And um, with no explanation, his secretary was interviewed, his coworkers were questioned, and uh, he was sent home with that mentality without knowing anything. And he, he specifically said, I had a miserable weekend. He came back to work on Monday and was told it was all a mistake. Hi, I'm Kimberly Drellick. I cover Groton for the day. I profiled two people who were teenagers on 9-11 and then went on to serve for the next 20 years in the military. And so I reported on uh, Commander Michael Glinsky with the Coast Guard. He was uh, just in his second year at the Coast Guard Academy. He was in the barber shop, and uh, an underclassman ran up to him and asked, did you hear a plane went into the World Trade Center? And uh, he said at the time there was a lot of questions, confusion about what the Coast Guard's role was going to be, were the upperclassmen going to have to graduate early, what was going to happen. Basically, it, you know, as, as you know, it, it brought the Coast Guard's homeland security mission to the forefront. And so that was already an, an area he was very interested in. So he um, ended up going on to serve, and he talks about how being at that time, he was really eager to get out there and serve, but he had to complete his training, so he had to wait. Um, but he did talk about how there was kind of this shared sense of purpose um, at the Coast Guard Academy at that time that they were going to go out with this new mission and, and be of service to the the countries. And then the second person um, I interviewed was Kellen Voland, who is the sub-base command master chief. And um, he also was a teenager um, on 9-11. He was 17. He was at high school. Uh, he was at Fitch High School. And he was walking into his AP European history class, and he saw his teacher staring at the television and teachers coming in and out. And um, at first they also, you know, thought, well, what happened? Is this an accident? And then when the second plane hit, they realized how serious it was. And 9-11 wasn't the only reason he went into the military, but he was just very, the call to serve just kind of intensified after 9-11. He talks about how he wanted to go down and help uh, clear rubble um, at the World Trade Center site. And he was, he was too young at the time, but as soon as he turned 18, he donated blood to help out with the blood shortage. My name is Taylor Hartz. I'm the breaking news reporter at The Day. I have been working on a story about Ruth and Juliana McCourt. They were a mother and daughter from here in New London who were aboard United Flight 175, which was hijacked on 9-11 and flown into the World Trade Center. Ruth McCourt was a 45-year-old businesswoman from Boston who had moved to New London in 1999. On September 11th, 2001, she boarded a flight from Boston Logan Airport to California with her four-year-old daughter, Juliana. They were headed to California to visit Disneyland. They were traveling with Ruth's best friend, who 
although she was also flying from Boston, ended up on a different flight. They planned to meet in California. Ruth's friend was on the first plane to strike the World Trade Center. And Ruth and Juliana were on the second plane to be hijacked that crashed into the North Tower. In 2005, a memorial garden was opened at the Lyman Allen Museum here in New London in honor of Ruth and Juliana and everyone else who was killed in the September 11th attacks. I attended a memorial ceremony on Friday, September 10th this year to commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I spoke with Mary Bryant McCourt, who delivered remarks on behalf of the family at the ceremony at the garden. Mary McCourt married David McCourt, Ruth McCourt's widower, a few years after 9-11, and is close with Paula Clifford Scott, Ruth's mother and Juliana's grandmother, who also attended the ceremony on Friday. Mary McCourt spoke on behalf of the family on Friday, recognizing that Ruth's brothers will normally speak at events like this, but that they were finding it just a little bit too difficult and emotional. After his recent interview for National Geographic, Ron Clifford, Ruth's brother, who was actually in the towers that day, told me his emotional toll was too much. He wanted to be here but every time we're somewhere, we really Mary said it. that she and the rest of the McCourt and, and Clifford families are dedicated to making sure that this garden in New London remains a place where people can come to reflect on the tragedy of 9-11 and a place that offers a little bit of peace and hope. I also spoke with Lana Burton, a dance instructor who teaches dance here in New London. She's from Niantic, and she used to teach Juliana dance at Mitchell College and at the Lyman Allen Museum. She's remained close with the McCourt family ever since the attacks of 9-11 and has been involved in memorial events like the one that was held this week for years and years. Uh, This is Brian Hollenbeck. I'm a business writer at the day um, with responsibility specifically for casinos and tourism. And I've also been writing about health recently. Uh, The premise of my uh, 9-11 story was to uh, seek out individual stories of uh, how people remembered uh, learning of the attacks and and what what its impact on them was uh, right at the moment. We put a query out uh, in the newspaper and online where we asked people to uh, contact us with uh, their stories of that nature and uh, we got a very, I thought, healthy response and uh, <clears throat> really gave me an opportunity to sift through them and pick out the ones uh, to focus on that were somewhat unique or, and or representative of others that were similar. The ones I chose to write about were only um, three or four or five maybe of them in, in particular and then got into them in some detail. Was was hard to decide which one to lead with, but that, what I settled on one is a former school teacher in Groton who uh, who retired from teaching in uh, back in 1990, and then had moved down to Florida, and <clears throat> eventually started working down there for a flight training school, of which there are many in Florida <clears throat> at that time certainly, and. Uh, he had this an encounter with one of the students there that had always had sort of haunted him. Um, was a Saudi uh, individual who just had a sort of very uh, a sort of a menacing air about him. The school teacher worked for this uh, 
this company as a dispatcher, and his duty was to distribute the materials to the students uh, who would then go and, and do their flight training class with an instructor, and then they would bring those materials back to, uh, to the teacher, whose name is Scott Pierce, and uh, he would collect them. And uh, he just remembers that when this, this individual brought back his stuff, he would just sort of toss it in a bin and uh, had a very menacing way about him, and he just remembered the stare and the look on this sort of the hate-filled uh, expression on his face uh, that had always sort of haunted him. And soon after the 9-11 uh, attacks, uh, some of the uh, terrorists were identified as, or thought to be Saudis, and who had been trained in Florida flight schools. And uh, so Mr. Pierce has always since believed that this man that he encountered was was very possibly among the uh, terrorists, of which there were a total of 19 on those four airliners. There were teams of uh, five on three of them, and on one of them there was a team of four. So he, and they weren't all, I don't, I don't believe they were all trained as, as pilots, but a lot of them were beyond the, uh, the four that actually were piloting the, uh, the hijacked plane. So he could very well have been among them. Um, the FBI did come down and investigate at that school and, and in the neighborhoods around there where some of these people lived and um, had a devastating effect on the company, though I believe it's still in, in, uh, in existence and has, um, and has come back. But uh, Mr. Pierce and many of those that were working there at the time uh, lost jobs. They were laid off because the, the um, enrollment in the school plummeted. And that was that. I, he eventually has returned to Connecticut and, and lives in, in Groton to this day. We also asked the reporters to talk about their personal recollection of September 11th, 2001. My mother was working for Social Security Administration in Philly, and so working for the federal government, she would have, even, even in that different role, would have found out sooner. Her recollection is that she had called my dad, who was staying home with me because I was sick, and... But interestingly, and, and she thinks that I wouldn't have gone back to school, which makes sense. I can't see why I would have. But she, so it's interesting that I don't recall that. And she also does not recall whether she came home from work right away or not. So it's really interesting that both of us remember exactly where we were when we found out, but not what we did right after. And of course, the one person who could answer all these questions would be my dad, who died in 2014. During 9-11, um, I was only two years old, so I don't have any recollection of what um, I was going through that day, but um, it's quite fitting for my, the story that I did for our 9-11 anniversary stories. I was at home, and I heard actually heard it on the radio, had radio on, and it just said, oh, a plane crashed into the World Trade Center. I thought it was a horrible accident, thought it was a small plane, thought it was you know, one of those two-passenger thing. And then a couple minutes later, the radio said, a second plane. So that's when I jumped to the TV and, and saw what happened. So on September 11th, 2001, I was in my junior year of high school in Manhattan. And I was in the upper part of Manhattan, so I wasn't near the site. But um, as I was sitting in my history class, we did hear a lot of sirens going past, and 
Um, we also didn't know right away what was happening, but then we basically, our school kind of convened all the, all the kids and told them what happened. We all kind of gathered together and school did end early and I had to walk home with a friend of mine um, and then we went to her house for a bit and we were watching on the TV and then I eventually walked home by myself for the rest of the, the way and while we were walking we saw just a lot of people trying to get home and the uh, people getting on the bus and just everyone the bus is kind of getting crowded. I was eight years old on September 11th, 2001. And I remember hearing about the news of what had happened from my bus driver, Bobby Joe. <laughs> I lived in a very small town and we were close with our bus driver. She was one of my friend's moms. So I remember when her daughter got on the bus, um, our bus driver broke down in tears and kind of told her daughter what was happening, which prompted the rest of us to ask what was going on. I think she told us that our parents would explain it to us when we got home. I remember walking into the back door of my house and my mother was crying and she was on the phone because my older brother was working at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. at the time, and she couldn't get in touch with him. She didn't know if he was okay or what was really going on at the Pentagon. Um, and she was very emotional that she couldn't reach him or find out if something had happened to him. He ended up being safe, perfectly fine. Um, but it was definitely a very emotional day as we waited to find out that he was okay. I studied photojournalism at Boston University and I did my thesis my senior year on the image of the falling man. It's an iconic photo of a man who jumped from one of the towers to end his life before the tower collapsed. And in doing that research and in reporting on 9-11 anniversaries every year, especially this year with the 20th anniversary, I've done a lot of deep dives into the events that happened that day and looked at a lot of images over and over, watched a lot of documentaries and read a lot about it. And it never ceases to make me very emotional. And every time I read about it or consume any type of media about the tragedy that day, I feel like I am just completely overwhelmed by how incredibly devastating it is still to this day. <laughs> 